feels kind of quiet in here. <clears throat> Which is what you might think one would expect in the meditation hall at Guy House. Maybe some of you notice, you know, the quality of the field, I would say, changes in any group regularly. And you know, the group soul has its own, which we all participate in making, has its um, changes, its chitta, as we do regularly, the quality. And not that I have an accurate view or read of this. But as I come in, it feels quiet in a, a very sort of gentle brightness right now. may not be your individual experience. might be. You might have other words. So tonight, I'd like to pick up a little bit our practice this morning, um, just as a small piece in the beginning, and then open up to looking at the theme of holy fire, and then an exploration of our senses as portals of soul-making. So I wonder, wonder how it went for you today. Heard from some of you about the opening to the current of desire practice. I want to share some examples from the small group, and I asked some of, some of them responded um, of people who are working with exactly that, just to give more, put more flesh on the bones of that practice. Um, Remembering that we can go in through dukkha, and we can go in through where there is desire already. And if neither of those have worked for you, but you feel like, yeah, I still want to do that, but I didn't quite get there today with it. And another word, you know, because we don't always feel desire with a big D. Um, attraction, just something I'm attracted to. Right, somewhere where I can see that my mind keeps wanting to go and pick up. Sometimes I find that a helpful word as well. <coughs> so I we'll want first to give the examples uh, for a few people in the group and to tra track their process as I was with it and we were with it together. Um, through identifying, it can be a process to identify, can't it, what, what it is you want, what you're attracted to, actually. We don't know necessarily, our mind might be going here, there and everywhere, but to be that clear can take a, can take a while or it may not be a, an inquiry we're accustomed to doing. So, a couple of examples. Um, one person said, I, he said, I, I'm the other way around than how you described some people contact depth when they're on their own and then sort of lose it in relationship. He said, I, I know it best in relationship and when I'm on my own, I lose it. I don't have that access. I find myself better oriented when I'm in contact with people. 
And the person described, and I could say this was very, uh, very easily resonated with beings in the world, very resonant soul. And, but there was a desire to not have to just disappear when he was on his own. And he he said, I want, we got to a place, I want to know that there's something here. Right? I want to know that there's something here. So practices of anatta and dissolving were easier for him. But he wanted to know a kind of substantial here-ness, he said. As I said, so what's it like to let yourself want what you want? First, there was some pain and some contraction, if I remember it, and I hope I do you justice. Um, and he, he said, no, no, I can't want that. I shouldn't want that. And it started to contract. How come you're not allowed to want to know that there's something here? And then it surfaced that conceptually there was an idea that if he let himself know that there was something here and found out that there was something here, what would that mean about his love and devotion and ability to resonate with other beings? Right? There was a sense, I'm going to lose something. I'm going to lose something valuable and precious to me if I follow this desire. Clear devotion, clear sense of duty to serving beings, being resonant with beings, pulsating along with beings. I'm going to lose something. So when he saw that kind of knot, conceptual knot, it opened up. And he, um, then I said, what's it like to let yourself want what you want? And as he wanted what he wanted, and let himself open to the current of the wanting, an enormous power in his location filled out his body and his mind. And those of us in the room could see, he kind of got powerful, really powerful. Is there a sense that there's something here? Yes, he said. Is it at the expense of that capacity to resonate and serve and be devoted to others? No, he said. Quite the opposite. Another person, I won't go through the whole process, another person um, was exploring many things and um, came to a place where as she went through the wantings to more general wantings she came to a place where she said she sat on her chair I want it all I want everything right and she felt the current of that and those of us with her could feel and see very possibly certainly and she and we could this kind of big expansion, this brightening, this, and then this little thought came in, or big thought, is it okay to want everything? (laughs) Right? And then as she asked it, she realized, checked in. Because on some accounts, we might say, wanting everything? Well, that's greedy, isn't it? But checking in, no. 
no, the wanting what she wanted wasn't at the expense of anyone, but she didn't have to check that out. It was clear this was soul give, this was, this was life giving. This was, um, body and heart expanding. This was wholesome and led onward. It was clear for her. Wanting everything. I want it all. I think I'll, I'll, I'll stop there and, um, with those examples. I want to go to another category, give an example from myself. Um, or first let me ask you a question. So a little bit follow up from last night when we explored the question a little bit. What's right about limiting your aliveness or what's right about not having your aliveness or something like that? The question tonight would be sort of follow on. What's right about not letting yourself want what you want? Right, so I want something, and often I don't quite let myself want something. What's right about that? What's the logic? What's the logos in your soul that, oops, I better not have that wanting? Right? Anyone want to pop out an answer? You can, they don't have to be your definitive things if you call them out. We're not going to typecast you as that person. But anyone, what's right about not letting yourself want what you want? To protect from disappointment. Thank you. Anyone else? What's right about not letting yourself want what you want? Right. How will that, how will you stay safe, Mary? To not be noticed. Right. Thank you. What's right about not letting yourself want what you want? Ethics. Right. We fear that we would overstep an ethical boundary. Yeah, right. If I let myself have my wanting, I'm going to act out, right, for example. We fear that. Yeah, thank you. What's right about not letting yourself want what you want? It's good, isn't it? We, we know, don't we? We really know. What was the one over here? Oh, very good. It might be an unwholesome distraction. To want what you want or to try and get what you want? <laughs> Yeah, right. So there's a good discrimination. The wanting what we want and then the the action after that. Thank you. Emma, was it? Very good, yeah. Yeah, a little bit like um person in the group. They might lose that capacity. Were you, did you have something in mind? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> enough said. <laughs> Unless you wanted to say. Is that enough? Yeah. Thank you. What's right about... Not letting yourself want what you want. Ah. Right. Uh -huh. To go to go get it. And what's it? What's right about not letting yourself even want the thing? Right. Right. So you, so. That's important what you're saying, Joe. You're making the distinction between the wanting arising and then I think I'm going to have to go do something about it. Right. So oh, I'm not even going to have the wanting because I'm going to have to do something about it. And phew, blimey, there's enough going on. Right. Yeah. Thank you. What's right about not letting yourself want what you want? Bo. Oh. Let others want first. Right. So if I want what I want, I'm going to exclude somewhat. The belief is. The idea is I'll stop someone else having their wanting. 
Interesting. Um, Bo? Yeah. Better just pack that all away, that wanting business. It kind of expands us a bit. <laughs> yeah. Julia? Not letting yourself want what you want. <laughs> Not do not disturb. Yes. So will the, will the wanting what you want disturb others? Having it. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Really good. We can see that we. Ca- it's very hard for us to discriminate between wanting what we want and having to go do something about it. Which sometimes we will, of course we want to act on some things, but very often we don't. It's really good not to. My identity may get seriously challenged. <laughs> yeah. So the Ah, so if I let myself want what I want, I'll be less satisfied with where I am. Okay, interesting. Uh huh. As if there's a gap between where you are and the thing you want. Yes, very good. So thank you. Uh, just to make a comment on some of those that that. It's very hard to have the wanting without imagining the thing, without having the thing we want. Yeah, something is going to get further away from me and I'll be less at home. Yeah, thank you. It's rich, isn't it? So there's lots of good prohibitions to wanting what we want. We even get extra ones when we do Dharma practice as well. <coughs> so... Um, I want to give another example of a, of a wanting um, and talk you through my process with it. It was um, a teacher that I had um, in another whole other school, not a Dharma context, um, a, a spiritual teacher. And uh, I took me years. I sat with him for years and years, maybe, or years and years, maybe six years. Um, and... Uh, in the beginning, I mean, I, I kind of liked him and I really appreciated his teaching. And I was a little bit intrigued by him. Um, he sort of slightly fascinated me a bit, but I kind of, yeah, it's okay. I like the teaching. And then I noticed as the years, because we, we were in a school where we would sit, have three or four retreats a year. And um, I started to notice my mind kept going to him. And I started to notice when I was in the meditation hall that I... Um, and I would be walking out, I couldn't help myself but get all self-conscious when I walked past him. And it was like, try to, so I tried to stop that. Have you ever tried to stop, have you ever tried to stop that kind of awkward thing? Um, <laughs> um, but didn't work, does it? Because something in the soul was moving. I, I was something about him. Um, so, after, so here's all the, proce- the processes in the mind that try to shut down the wanting what I want. I didn't know what I wanted yet, but I, I was kind of just trying to not want anything about him because I didn't think I was going to get it anyway, whatever it was, and I, I didn't even know I wanted. Um, so, but after some years of dukkha, um, 
after some years of took after some years of going, oh, this is terrible, just walking past him in the hall and contorting and um what is it? What's going on here? So I sensed into my body and and as we do and it's like, oh, I'm kind of attracted to something. I'm kind of intrigued by something. What is it? What is it about him? And he, for me, was, the, he was very, he had a lot of stillness. He was a very still kind of presence, very still kind of soul, very dark in that kind of dark, like that black, black velvet we had on the floor that first night. You know, that's, and for me, he had that kind of black depth that kind of, like the night sky, that kind of limitless black, that quality. That's what I was intrigued by, that sort of mysterious black, I was calling it that, mysterious black quality, um, which I associated and felt as his depth in a certain way, in a certain kind of depth, a certain kind of beautiful depth. So then, uh, finally, so what do I want? I want you to see me. I wanted him to see me. And then, this is a whole other level of shame. I'm not supposed to want to be seen. Wanting to be seen is narcissistic. Wanting to be seen is not very spiritual. Wanting to be seen is, well, whatever it is in your cosmology. <laughs> right? Okay, so there's there's the sankaras of the shame. There's the programming of, no, I'm not allowed to want that. You might want something, you might want kindness, it's okay, but wanting to be seen as a whole other, whole other thing, especially in English culture. <laughs> We've got extra, extra sankaras about wanting to be seen. Um, those of us who know that culture, from that culture. Um, then there was a counter program. So there's the programming, the sankara, the unhelpful sankara of the shame. Then a counter program, like a counter spin. You know, I image I have is of a pinball machine. These such are my erudite images. There's a pin, pinball machine where the ball pings up, pings off that thing and pings onto another one, pings off it. Right, so there's one spin, the shame. Ping. Off it goes to another one. I shouldn't want to be seen. Right? There's another whole program. Ping. But I want to be seen. I want him to see my depth. I want him to see my depth. Ping. I shouldn't want him to see my depth. Ping. I don't want to be the kind of woman that needs a guy to tell me that I'm deep. Ping. I. Ping. 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 Right? Dukkha. <laughs> what do I want? Oh, I want him to see my depth. Oh, okay. Can I let myself want what I want? Okay. Hmm. And then came some layers of rage, indignation. Why doesn't he see me? That was there, holding that, caring for that, taking care with that. <clears throat> Actually, the truth was, I didn't know if he saw me or not. But he didn't see me and confirm to me in the way that I wanted from an ego perspective, right? Something that I could take and eat for myself to feed my hunger. There's the hunger, okay. Here's the hunger. Holding, breathing, tending, caring, 
wanting what I want. What do I want? It goes a bit more, goes a bit deeper. I want to meet you there. This is my idea with him. I want to meet you there in that depth. Can I let myself want what I want? And as I wanted what I wanted, it took me right into that black velvet, unwritten, edgeless silence. So letting ourselves want what we want, discriminating the wanting, the energetics of the wanting from the, um, in this morning's practice, from the having to then go after and get, um, wanting what, what we want, allowing that fire of the of the desire to be uh, available to us because what does it what what can it do it can like fire like heat heat can expand things heat can um extend the range of things heat can you know you heat up a substance and it's i don't know much about chemistry i just remember the bunsen burner in the lab and you put things in it and <laughs> things happened. Um, heat heats things up. It ex- tends to expand things. Right. Can I stay home? And then tomorrow we'll bring back more in the imaginal again, more directly. Of course, you may be following those threads all the way through. But can I stay home with this holy fire? with this holy illumination, because this fire can illuminate. It's part of um, the soul, part of consciousness, whatever we want to call it, that can um, bring more light, can actually shed more light on what's going on. It opens the range, there's more brightness, and we see more. We see more what's going on. So wanting what we want, can we stay home with this, what I'm going to call this holy fire? So I want us to um, just consider the, this idea of holy fire. It's an idea, it's another story, but a story that we might like to try on I found helpful and um, imagine that one of your jobs as a spiritual practitioner is to tend the holy fire. You know, someone who tends the fire, um, they care for it, they put the wood on it. If it's a holy fire, they'll do that in a very um, mindful and beautiful way. That our job is to tend the holy fire here in our location 
And that one of the functions of that, this is the story I'm offering, one of the functions of tending that holy fire isn't that it stays the same all the time. It isn't that we have to sort of work hard to keep it going. But when we get that, see that spark that we recognize is sacred, that we care for that. And wanting what we want, where we're attracted, that can become that with skill. Imagine that that holy fire is an altar to kneel at. And that that holy fire may might illuminate right through your senses, right through your body as if the holy fire were here at your hearth and could spread and fill and illuminate your eyes and your touch and your taste and your smell and illuminate the sense of the mind itself bring brightness. One thing I was really interested to hear quite recently, I didn't know this, but um, the word upadana, which is translated as grasping, um, one of its uh, way, the ways it comes to be used and come to be used by the Buddha is that it actually referred to, so I've been told, I haven't read this directly for myself, I've read it or heard it on good account, but um, referred to the ritual, a Vedic ritual at the time done by certain ascetics and Brahmins. Oh, Rachel knows this, yeah. Um, that Upadana was the ritual of the feeding the holy fire the feeding the sacrificial fire, feeding the holy fire. And I, I'm wondering if that's the same practice that still happens, you still see in India. Um, sometimes I know one of my friends had a teacher and his practice was to keep the fire going. Sometimes you see these ascetics, that their practice is to keep that fire going. They mustn't let it go out. They keep adding the wood or the ghee, or whatever it is, the twigs that they add. And sometimes that's hard in some places. There's not much around in terms of that can feed the fire. And apparently, one way of reading the history is that the Buddha, part of what he was doing was shifting a view in a very radical way from the sort of cosmological perspective where those Brahmins and ascetics would be believing, okay, in doing this, I'm feeding the god, the gods of fire, the Agni, I believe the god was called, or is called, and I feed this god and I keep the world turning in that way. You know, my function, my holy duty, my karma is to feed this holy fire because my participation in this way is part of participating in the cosmos and keeping the generative function of turning worlds. And the Buddha used that idea and said, and turned it into a psychological perspective and said, this, this is my understanding of hearing this, this ritual that you think is so great of keeping something going, look what you're keeping going. 
you keep feeding the fires, and he changed them to greed, hatred, and delusion. You keep feeding those fires, and we know how that happens, right? We feed it with, through our hunger for sense contact, through our craving, our tanha for um, becoming, for non-becoming. You're feeding that fire. You're keeping it going, and you're keeping your worlds turning. You're keeping your inner worlds turning. Which worlds are we keeping turning? Worlds of self and other and a perception of the world which keeps being born, stays around for a bit, fades, dies, doesn't give us, you know, doesn't finally do it for us. He said, check this out. Maybe you don't want to keep feeding the fire. So he he just uses that not just it's quite clever, isn't it, to shift it from that view. It's like look what you look look at this process, look at this inner psychic process here. And then let the fire cool down. Let it cool down. Let it cool down. Wow. What a relief. What a relief when we let when we guard the senses. When we practice guarding the senses, cooling, fading, not building all the worlds, not keeping the world spinning. In our soul-making practice, we want the world. We want the world, perhaps this holy fire, can be allowed to be rekindled, but this time not from, or this time not just representing the fires of greed, hatred and delusion. Yes, we tend to those. We see when we build worlds in that way. But also perhaps that something bright and illuminating and soul-making where, yes, we can see and let fabricate worlds of self and other and the particular quality that has in that moment, in that time that we're in that world, the self and the other that has been woven. Without our mind shrinking to believe this is an absolute reality, an absolute truth, an absolute this is who I am and must always be. then what might be possible for us. Because clearly, letting the fire go out has its beauty and its gift, incredible. And we love the world. We love the worlds. We love the worlds of the senses. Do you? (laughs) Is there anything you love about the world of the senses? You're, you're seeing, you're tasting, you're touching, you're smelling, you're, the sense, the inner sense of the mind, the hearing. So what would it be to, for, for some of us to examine whatever way we have taken sense contact and that whole teaching around sense contact, sense perception, um, sense doors, sense or sense fields. However, we've heard that, whatever way we've conceived that and practiced that. Yes, I'm, I imagine it's been extremely helpful. But has there any way that it might be limiting or limited in any way? So I'll, I'll say more about that.
So all of that was the introduction. <laughs> so I probably won't, I won't offer all of this, but maybe some in the instructions tomorrow. Okay, so I want to invite us into a possibility um, that guarding the sense doors, as typically we hear the teaching, or at least I have, guarding the sense doors and all the skill, that I'll just shift the word for the moment to guarding the holy fire. Guarding the holy fire. Because clearly we know if our bright... mm, our brightness just kind of leaks out through every sense perception, every sense contact. It's misery, isn't it? It's like, oh, there's a sight, there's a smell, there's a sight. You know, like a little dog chasing. At least dogs are supposed to do that, right? Just chasing after everything that consciousness presents to us. There's no, that's not sacred. There's no joy in that. So we want to guard, yes, this holy fire. And imagine you're guarding this holy fire here and then opening to the senses again. Let's see what I can offer then tonight out of this talk. Okay. Do you remember the two lovers on the stage? I asked on the first night, who loves Psyche? And Wilhelmine answered, Eros loves Psyche. Oh, a little louder. Eros loves Psyche. And Psyche loves to be opened by Eros. Psyche, I'll change the language, That if that language doesn't resonate yet for you, or may never, might not be your language. Psyche here in this soul-making dynamic is any appearance to any of the senses, inner senses, outer senses, any appearance that can for you become beloved other, that can become beloved other, that speaks to you imaginally, meaning that that which you touch, that which you see, that which you smell, taste, know internally or externally, can be seen as something that has dimensions, that is has more to fathom that you want to go into. You want to find out more about it. And let this not be abstract. What is it? Tell me something in the world of the senses that you've seen today or smelt today that you want to you wanna get into more. You want to find out more about. You want to um, delve deeper into. Anything? Did you see anything today that fits the bill? that kind of opened up in its dimensionality, externally, so to speak. The wind. Aha, uh-huh, what happened, Francis? It stirred a longing in you, the wind today. And what about that longing made you perceive more dimensionality to it? or? You 
You can see it pervading everything. And then what happens in your heart as you say that? Okay. Okay. So then, so something like that, I would encourage them to stay with that. Can we stay even with the possibility that there's more here? Right? That I haven't even wrapped it up. It's final what it shows me. Right? Stay there with that beauty. Stay there with the awe. See where it, see where it goes. That psyche is an inner phenomena, is quite a modern idea, which has gifts to us of having sort of internalized that whole realm of this, um, of soul, actually. And it has limitations. Who here knows? through their body, through their touch of anything, through their smell, through your hearing. Who hears echoes or knows deeply your sacred participation in this world of things that you can touch? Your lover, your child. Something stirs in you that speaks to you of a beyond, that invites you into a sensuous participation. As Eros is allowed to do her thing, Eros will expand and want to go into more. More and more can be made into soul. More and more we can engage our sensuous participation in the world and our sensuous participation in perception. What does that mean? I think I'm going to pick it up tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's like end of chapter one. What does that mean? I'm not trying to be extra intriguing. I just can't think of a way to see this whole talk in <laughs> 15 minutes. But let's see, maybe I can offer a little bit more that might sort of move us on into the piece for tomorrow morning. But let's just hang out with this possibility 
a minute. Even if it doesn't make sense yet completely, it might be thoroughly known to you. You might know this so well for yourself. For some of us, it might be the way into soul-making. For some of us, it may be with intra-psychic images. For some, it may be the world of sensory, perceptual participation that actually... Um, speaks to us, whispers to us of the beyondnesses, that we're not just flattening our ideas about materiality. Some of us, it may be the way in to soul-making. So let's take a posture of um, whatever allows you to have to have it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the person who wanted it all this morning looked excited at that point. Whatever posture allows you to, the possibility that all of this might be in the realm of soul making. Even if there's a disappointment, it's like, oh, I was just getting into the inner bit. Don't want to do the outer bit. Right? Okay, <laughs> you can stay with the inner bit. You don't have to go anywhere. We're putting um, possibilities, directions, doorways. And actually, you don't have to go anywhere. This premise remains in our teaching. Our, our, I don't mean me and Rob, our, I mean Dhamma teaching. Right here. Not trying to have an experience. We all know the dukkha of that. Trying to have a particular experience. When we leave home and do it, don't leave home. Stay guarding your holy fire. That fire on that first night in the middle of our black velvet that some many of you relate to as a kind of universal symbol and you danced with it, you participated with it, you gazed upon it, you at least intellectually and possibly heartfully and possibly bodily and possibly soulfully engaged with this possibility that your desire, your holy fire, when tended with as sacred participation that something about that you recognize so forget what I'm saying for the moment come back to where you recognize where your spark is or your roaring fire or your gentle glow What is it you're attracted to? What is it you want? Breathing out and breathing in. Guarding 
your holy fire, not someone else's. The way that you're animated and wake up in the morning and you're not dead. You're here and let that fire become holy through your participation with it, through the way you're thinking about it, through the way you're willing to see it right now. What if you see this as something that can be world-making, soul-making, that it's generative, it's making. Jung said something like, we're both victims and instruments of cosmogonic love. Cosmogonic, generate the gonic, like gonads, gonic, gonos, this generative, generative aspect, world-making, yes, baby-making also, incredible, and generative on so many levels. Guarding your holy fire, being willing to see it, see it this way, And letting from here this ho- this fire, or it may not be a fire, however you might be imagining or knowing this generative force that you are. Imagining that fanned and opening to the whole organ of your skin. The whole, the skin is the biggest organ in the body, so I believe. That fire spreading out from the inside or from the outside, however you're imagining it, and letting it fill out right to the edges of your skin. Right to the, as one person here came up with a beautiful metaphor when I heard her giving a guided meditation, she said, right to the rich nerve endings of your fingers. Right to the sensuousness of your back and your spine. Can you let that fire come to the sensuousness, the sensuality of us as animal organism, human animal, right up the back of your neck right filling into your belly and your genitals and your legs filling out the skin and beyond the skin and imagine that the way that your hand might now touch if your touch sense is also holy that you don't limit the Logos for this moment, 
to an idea that touch is just plain old sensuality that's not going to get me to heaven or whatever idea you have nothing special here just for now if your logos allows the whole organ of your skin is allowed to be known as holy as unfathomable actually can you really fathom what this is can you really finish the sentence and say yeah that skin wrapped up skin i've sorted it's like this stuff covers a body thank you very much no that way of seeing doesn't usually yield much beyond what if your holy fire is allowed to explore your skin and what now if one of your hands felt moved from the heart of your soul if it wanted to explore touch while you're still guarding your holy fire imagine you touching something coming into a sensuous participation with whatever your hand might be attracted to touch you can just do that imaginally for the moment and i encourage you later to touch just with one rule not each other right but see where those rich fingertips want to go and as they do as they're drawn maybe to the velvet maybe to the bark of the tree maybe to something on your own skin what would it be to touch yourself as lover right now to let that desire come through your fingertips as eros who really wants to know psyche who wants to know appearance who wants to know form who wants to know what is what are you let me not limit you my love let me not reduce you because to do so would be to imprison both of us and even if it feels intimate or not the kind of thing that normally happens in the meditation hall please feel very free if this at all feels relevant to you or even if it doesn't you can try it out either now or when we stop because we sometimes we can be a little shy about this level of intimacy with ourselves but i encourage you to touch to touch while you're home guarding tending the holy fire yeah some of you are doing it please feel free see if there is if you want to you might not want to just see if the not wanting is that you don't want to want this cuz if i going to start wanting this this gets really weird or whatever it might be 
Let your hands see where they're attracted, as if your hands and your fingertips run right back, as I think they actually do on a even explainable level, right back to your heart. And the heart of your soul. What kind of touch? And as you make that contact right now, staying home with the fire, not leaving through the senses, but letting the senses be an expression of this participation. How else is Eros going to know Psyche? But through relationship, through participation. And as you make contact, as you touch, See how you might want to explore. And not what you think you should do or shouldn't do. How might those fingers (coughs) engage And for you it may or may not be the touch sense, it might be another sense that draws you. But whichever one draws you, sight, touch, smell. Sound. The inner sensitive sensing. finish with this piece I think I read in the retreat in August Um, and I'd like to read it again but you can stay touching you can stay however you are whatever you want so this is from Thomas Merton be still Listen to the stones of the wall. Be silent. They try to speak your name. Listen to the living walls. Who are you? Who are you? Whose silence are you? 
Who, be quiet, are you, as these stones are quiet? Do you th- do not think of what you are, still less of what you may one day be. Rather, be what you are, be the unthinkable one you do not know. Be still while you are still alive, and all things live around you, speaking. All things live around you, speaking to your own being. Speaking by the unknown that is in you and in themselves. I will try, like them, to be my own silence. And this is difficult, because the whole world is secretly on fire. The stones burn. Even the stones, they burn me. How can a man be still or listen to all things burning? How can he dare to sit with them when all their silence is on fire? I will try like them to be my own silence. And this is difficult. The whole world is secretly burning. Is secretly on fire. The stones burn, even the stones they burn me. How can a man be still or listen to all things burning? How can he dare to sit with them when all their silence is on fire? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.